And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A few questions for you this morning. Is it best to pray standing up, sitting down, Kneeling or bowing? Should our hands be open, closed, or lifted up to God as we sang this morning? Do our eyes need to be closed? Should we pray in the morning when we get up or at night before we go to bed? Are there certain words that we should say in our prayers? How do we begin our prayers? What's the proper way to close a prayer? These are common questions asked about prayer. And they all center around how to pray, how to literally pray. What is the proper way to pray? Is there a proper way to pray? Do any of these things even matter? Prayer itself is often viewed as a magic formula. If you get it just right, if you stand in the right way, hold yourself the right way, say the right things, then things will happen. And some believe that if we don't say exactly the right things or pray in the right position, God will not hear and answer our prayers. This is unbiblical. This is false. This is wrong. I just want to plant that seed firmly in our hearts and our minds this morning. That's not the God we serve. He does not answer our prayers based on when we pray, where we are, what position our bodies are in, or in what words we utter in our prayers. But we are physical beings. God gave us life. He gave us breath. We express ourselves 
with our words and with our actions. And these are elements in how we pray. We defined last week what prayer was, that beautiful, intimate communication, commune with God. It, but these actions are the means by which we pray, the means by which we communicate with God. We want to look at them specifically this morning. We want to look at our position, as you see in your notes, our words, and our reason for praying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the beautiful gift of prayer, the beautiful gift of coming face-to-face in our spirits with the creator of the universe, with our creator, with you, God. May your spirit guide us this morning as we look at how to pray, how we just barely scratch the surface of how to pray. But as we look at that and seek to understand more and become more and more comfortable with prayer, may your spirit guide us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are several different positions for prayer. Verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There are a couple of aspects to our position of prayer as we term it. Those aspects are location and posture. First, our location, where we are to pray. There are several places in Scripture that address this. Verse 6 in our text this morning, he says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. The psalmist in Psalm 63, 6, he says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watchings of the night. One gentleman, and I won't give his name, was relating this week and talking about our series on prayer, said that he often falls asleep while praying at night. We assured him that that was not necessarily a bad thing. And we thought maybe that instead of counting sheep, he was talking to his shepherd. And that gave him the ability to relax and to rest and fall asleep. But these scriptures were referring to very private locations, intimate, quiet times with God. Acts chapter 16, verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Again, and now a public place. And then we have in Acts chapter 21, verse 5. It says, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 36. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna. It says, she did not depart from the temple, 
worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. I cut out the middle part of those verses or the details, but as I was sitting and meditating on this just on the front bench this morning, it's like if you read all of those two verses in the middle, she was a virgin. She was married for just seven years to her husband. So as a young woman, she was married. And from the time that she became a widow until now, I believe it says her age was 84 years old. She was in the temple night and day, praying and praising and worshiping God. That was her purpose. Challenged by that, by how we underutilize, how we underembrace, how we fail in our prayer lives. And I said our. The dedication, the opportunity she took to minister in that way. And not just in, we're not just called to minister as far as places, not just in the holy places. But everywhere we have opportunity. That's where we pray. That's where we're called to pray. Everywhere we have opportunity. That's places. And again, I just give examples. And it's, it's not a list of where you can and can't. I, I go through these, these positions and these postures. My intent this morning is to encourage each of us to step outside the box. Because what happens in our worship, in our prayer, in our interactions? We find things that we are comfortable with and we get in grooves. This is where I pray. This is how I pray. This is what I say. I encourage you, and not for just the sake of being different. But I encourage us to take, to, to know, to understand that we have permission to listen to the Spirit and pray as God leads us, where God leads us, how God leads us. Well, what about posture? I talked about in position, we talked about location and posture. What about posture? How we position our bodies as we pray. Genesis chapter 17, verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face. Exodus 9, 29. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54. Now Solomon finished offering his, all his prayer and his plea to the Lord. He rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. Mark chapter 6, verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Communication with God does not require a certain physical position. Again, that's not a formula. But postures do give expressions as to the attitudes of our hearts. We can fall on our face. And let's face it, some of these postures seem uncomfortable to us. What would we do if somebody came up front this morning and fell on their face? Would we judge them? Or would we acknowledge and just prayer and pray in faith with them that they are walking in obedience to the Spirit?
Again, we get so familiar with these different postures. And I know as a kid in church, and we quit when I was a young man, but I, I, I barely remember it. But at Bethel, as well as I'm sure several churches around here, every Sunday there was one of the prayers in the service when everybody turned around and knelt at their benches. The whole congregation knelt in prayer. As I said, we can fall on our faces. We can kneel, bow, stand, sit, look up to heaven, or stretch out our arms. There are multiple scriptures, some we've already read, but many, many more relating these postures and others. These postures are opportunities for us to be personal in our prayers to God. But we are reminded in the text this morning to not be like the hypocrites, that they may be seen by others. You see, that's where some of these postures have gotten a bad rap because there are those people who assume some of these postures to draw attention to themselves. Reminded once again, and we quoted it many times here, Someone once said one Sunday morning they didn't really enjoy the worship much that, that morning. And the pastor said to them, well, that's okay. We weren't here to worship you anyway. When we are sitting in judgment of the way someone else is praying, or the way someone else is worshiping, the first problem is in our hearts. I've been guilty of it. Why is it that our first question is, is often, not always, but often negative? Why is our first question often, are they doing that to get attention to themselves? Why are they drawing attention to themselves? Why is our first question not, praise God? That's not a question. Why is our first statement not, praise God, for that person's genuineness? Why don't we assume genuineness instead of assuming someone is fake? You see, our assumption changes nothing. Fake or genuine, God knows. How genuine is our resistance to sometimes respond in the posture that God is prompting us through His Spirit to respond? Some of you in worship, have you ever thought, oh, I'll raise my hand. No, I don't want anybody to draw attention. I don't want to draw attention to myself. How many of us have refused those promptings of the Spirit? Is our worship any more valuable when we raise our hands? No, but our obedience is beautiful. So when we're processing the postures of prayer and, and we're going out of our way to process the postures of other people, what is our attitude? What is our heart? That's our positions, our location, our postures. What about our words? Verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Again, does this mean we're supposed to be parsing every word that someone says in a prayer? No. No, we're supposed to be standing with them in faith. 
that God knows. God knows the genuineness of their prayers. We're just called to be in our own genuine fellowship and communication with God. He goes on, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Like the more words they say, the more effect their prayers will have. Some people still have that perspective, that opinion of prayer, that expectation. It's false. More words don't move God more. For some people, it's almost paralyzing to think about praying out loud. We are, in fact, very concerned about our words. We are afraid of man. Am I condemning people for that? No, I am not. And if you hear that this morning, I, I, I assure you that's not what I'm saying. The fear of man is real. The enemy will use anything he can, he can to quench us, to keep us down. But I encourage you that your words are beautiful to God. And I understand that it's uncomfortable to pray out loud, but I encourage you to pray for God to give you courage to push through. Not in any way that you have to pray out loud for your answers to be prayer. Don't hear that. I'm encouraging you that the opportunity to pray out loud is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Starting in verse 9, Jesus gives an example of prayer, the most famous example of prayer. He opens it with giving honor to God, our Father, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Then he goes into the surrendering of our wills. And then appealing for physical and spiritual needs. It's important to remember that prayer, as we have defined, is a conversation with God. I had to think about myself as I looked at my words. How do I pray? I almost always open with a salutation, a greeting to God. I'll either say, simply say, God, or I'll say, Heavenly Father, or Dear Jesus. It's kind of like you're opening a letter with a salutation. I often, as I contemplated my prayers, reflecting on how I pray, I then often go to a thank you. Just an acknowledgement of, of my adoration of God. Then some praises. And then ultimately to the supplications, the requests that I have for God. And finally, the closing. Jesus' model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount is not our only example. There are several actual prayers in Scripture. I encourage you to go to the cross-reference of your Bible. Look those up. Read them. Not in trying to memorize a model, but to build your courage. It's just like looking at fine works of art that have been created through the inspiration of God. You read those prayers, and you see the beauty of prayer. The prayers in the Psalms, the prayers in the Gospels. Jesus' beautiful prayer of John 17. Read those prayers. Learn from them. Build confidence through them. We could study them, and we probably will somewhat as we continue this series. 
But for our purposes here this morning, I want to again stress the beauty of prayer being a personal conversation with God. There are many ways that we as individuals converse with people. We express ourselves in our own words. We formulate our thoughts and we express our ideas. We express our passions. We express our desires. We use analogies, gardening analogies, sports analogies, career analogies. We use analogies to express what we're thinking or a solution that we may have to a problem. Just like Jesus used parables. Sometimes we quote other people in our conversations, famous people, familiar people. Quoting scripture in our prayers is powerful. These are all opportunities we have, ways we have of formulating our words in our prayers. Whatever words you use, make it personal. See, how do you make it personal? Don't make it stiff and rigid. Don't put all these expectations on yourself. Talk to God like you're talking to your spouse, like you're talking to your best friend. Talk to God just like you talk to the most intimate person that you have conversations with on this earth. That's the way God wants us to converse with him. Finally, when looking at our words in prayer, I want to look at how we close our prayers. What do we most often say? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That's the way I close the vast majority of my prayers. When Kaya was a little girl and I would pray at meals, Remember, she was a little girl. Don't hold it against her now. But when she was a little girl and I would pray at meals, when I would start to say, in Jesus, and I'd barely get name out, and she'd say, men. Because she knew what was coming after the amen. She was hungry. But she knew that that was the way I closed my prayer. She was very familiar with it. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? What are we saying when we say this in Jesus' name, amen? What does it mean to close our prayer in Jesus' name? This actually comes directly from the words of Jesus in Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is also a scripture that is used to present prayer as a magic formula. Whatever you pray in Jesus' name will be done. Well, you have to take that in context. You have to take in context. You have to take that in the whole of scripture. Again, that's a question we're going to get to later. How does this all work? Praying and, you know, it, for the will of God, how does it all line up? That's, that's a question to come later. But for the purpose of this morning, in the words we choose, saying in Jesus' name is not a guarantee. God, give me a double my salary at work in Jesus' name. It doesn't work that way. 
Praying in Jesus' name means praying with the authority of Jesus and asking God the Father to act on our prayers based on that authority. Praying in Jesus' name means the same thing as praying to the will of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Praying in Jesus' name is praying for things that will honor and glorify Jesus. Saying in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer is not a magic formula. If we don't say it, it doesn't cancel our prayer. If what we ask for or say in prayer is not for God's glory and according to his will, Saying in Jesus' name is meaningless. Genuinely praying in Jesus' name and for his glory is what is important. That's the power. Not using certain words. We should be intentional about our words in a desire of of honoring and being respectful and being Intentional about the words we choose to genuinely express what's in our hearts to the best of our ability. But not in an effort to get the results that we want. It is not ultimately the literal words in the prayer that matter. But the purpose behind the prayer. But there is that one little word that we close almost every prayer with. Amen. What are we saying when we say amen? More than just, okay, that's the end of the prayer. It's not the period at the end of the prayer to signify the close of the prayer. What does that word mean? 1 Chronicles 16, verse 36. It says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said amen and praised the Lord. The noun form of this original word means, so be it. So when we're saying amen, we're affirming to God, so be it. I pray these things in your name and in your will, so be it. We are surrendering the authority to God. The verb form occurs hundreds of times in Scripture. It means to take care, to be faithful reliable or established or to believe someone or something. So when we say, in Jesus' name, amen, we are saying, in Jesus' power, according to his will and upon his righteousness, so be it. You see how powerful that simple closing statement that we have been conditioned to say It's a good thing to say, but it's even a better and more beautiful thing to mean. We are proclaiming that our desire is to be in God's will. 
That's our reason. That is the key to how we pray. Our positions, our words, our reason, our motivation for praying. The proper way to pray is to pour out our hearts to God. Being honest and open with God. I remind you again this morning, there is nothing that we can tell God that he doesn't already know. But he is waiting for us to be honest with him. Not so that he can move, but so that we can be honest with ourselves. Because until we're completely honest with ourselves, we are going to hit roadblocks. And our dishonesty with ourselves are our roadblocks. Our dishonesty with ourselves is why we're often hung up, why we're often confused. It's not because God didn't hear. It's not because God's not ready to answer. It's because we are first not being honest with ourselves. God already knows us better than we even know ourselves. We are to present our request to God, remembering that God knows what is best and will not grant a request that is not His will for us. We are to express our love, gratitude, and worship to God in prayer without worrying about being in the right position or having just the right words to say. Well, Kevin, you spent all this time explaining this. Again, this is to give you permission. You don't need my permission. But I want to exhort you to be free in your prayers. Start in your private closet. Ask God to give you the freedom to express yourself among others. To truly display the faith and the, and the obedience that you have in your heart for God. The Lord's Prayer in our text today is an example of the things that should go into a prayer. Maybe not in every prayer, but in some way, in some form, at different times, in different places. Worship, trust in God, requests, confession, and submission. We are to pray for the things that the Lord's Prayer talks about. Using our own words. Relating it to our own lives. The proper way to pray is to express our hearts to God. And trust that He will respond in the only way that God can respond. And that is with purity and power and faithfulness to us. Sometimes when we're honest with God in our prayers, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to express some disappointment, some anger, some frustration, confusion. God wants us to lay those things out. Maybe not necessarily in a public setting, but he wants us to first, as I said, be honest with ourselves and out of our honesty with ourselves to be honest with him. To lay bare, to put into words the things that we are struggling with, the things that we don't understand. Whether it's sitting, standing, or kneeling, 
hands opened or closed, eyes opened or closed, in a church or at home. These are all subject to personal preference or conviction and opportunity. God's desire is for prayer to be a real and personal expression, a real and personable, personal connection with him between himself and us. A great price was paid to give us that connection, to give us that gift. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected to give us that privilege. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected so that Anna could be in that temple for decades, praying and worshiping. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected so that we could have personal conversation with the creator God of the universe. that is a result of the relationship that we have with that creator of the universe that will usher us into eternity with him. But in the meantime, as we live this life in this fallen world, we're not left to ourselves. We can talk to the creator. We can talk to the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-loving, just God. Because he sent his son out of heaven in perfect righteousness to be born in humility, to live in obscurity, to face intense persecution, ultimately leading to his agonizing and painful death, only to be resurrected in life, over death, over sin. All of that made a way so that we can raise our hands, so that we can lift our faces, so that we can fall on our faces, so that we can kneel and commune with God. Despite our wretchedness, despite our sinfulness. This morning... We invite you to join us at the communion table as we remember the sacrifice that God made to make it possible for us, for us to have fellowship with God now and for eternity. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. Matthew writes, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This is not a suggestion it's a command, eat, drink. What we are getting ready to participate in this morning is a reminder and a celebration 
of what Christ did for us on the cross. There is this beautiful tension that should be within our hearts. The reminder of the agony, the reminder of the pain. But the celebration in that we don't have to face that agony. We don't have to face that pain because Christ did. Because if we had had to face that agony, that pain, it would have been eternal. It would have been forever. But because God stepped down, sent his son down in his perfection to face that agony and that pain, to defeat that agony, to defeat that pain, it no longer has a hold on us. By dying for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God, bringing to an end his Christ's perfect life of obedience, fulfilling every promise of God, securing our salvation, making a way of reconciliation between us and God, making it possible for us to pray, securing and securing the future kingdom of God, and our inheritance in that kingdom as children of God. So we come this morning joyful that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only saves us, but also enables us to continue in obedience to our Father in heaven. In our relationships here on earth, because of Christ's sacrifice, We have an eternal hope. We have these relationships on earth that are just a faint image of our ultimate relationship with God. Just as we communicate with people here on earth, our communication, our fellowship, our prayers to God are infinitely more beautiful and fulfilling than the most fulfilling relationship we have here on earth. This morning we have a time of examination. I will give you a few moments of silence to reflect personally, internally on what God has done for you. At the end of that time of reflection, I will offer a prayer for the sacraments and I will then invite the elders to come forward as we prepare to serve each of you. Let's come to the Lord in silence and meditation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. God, we praise you that we have the ability to come before you. We praise you, God, for your endless, unlimited love, Father. And we praise you for what these elements this morning symbolize. The broken body of your Son. 
for his shed blood. The bread and the juice here this morning to remind us, to reverently bring us in our hearts to the amazing sacrifice that you made, Lord. God, not only that we would be ushered into eternity with you, because without that sacrifice, Lord, we would have been doomed. There would be no hope. But because of that sacrifice, Lord, we have the hope, the expectation of eternity with you. But in the meantime, Lord, as we dwell on this earth because of that sacrifice, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have your spirit dwelling in us as we face the fallenness of this world. And God, as we take our breaths, as our hearts beat, as we live these lives with you in us, beautifully having the opportunity to commune with you in prayer, thank you for that gift, Lord. The gift of the etern- for eternity and the gift that we have for now to be in fellowship with you. Yes, at this moment we, we see through a lens dimly. Then we will see face to face. Either both are possible because of the sacrifice that we remember here this morning. Lord, may your blessing be on these elements. As we partake of the bread, as we partake of the juice. As we remember that gift, Lord, may your blessing be on us. Your spirit be strong within us. We open it, open our hearts and receive plainly the gift that you give us in your dwelling and in your hope and your promise for eternity, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.